You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this podcast, a recording from the second webinar organised as part of Framing Ageing, a clinical, cultural and social dialogue. Panel 4, Memory and Experience, featured three speakers. The second speaker was Jain Abujalo from the University of Bern, who presented on Ageing and Diaspora. A video of the webinar, including the slides used by the speakers, is available on the project website, framingaging.ucd.ie and on UCD Humanities Institute's YouTube channel. I'd like to thank the organisers of this conference for having me, of this webinar, and thank you so much, Anne, for inviting me to be a part of it. It's been quite a very uh, meaningful webinar and a remarkable journey thus far. My presentation today sets out to show the different strands of research I carried out in developing We Take Care of Our Own, a theatre play I finished sometime last year. I began sketching the basic ideas of the play at the Camago Foundation in Cassis as part of the cultural diaspora residency, and the subject matter of the play is aging in diaspora. In the play, we encounter three first-generation immigrants, ages 91, 89, and 87, who are torn between romanticized imaginaries of aging and the realities of living in a nursing home somewhere in Europe. They ruminate on the crude disruptions of intergenerational practices through their own choices to migrate from their homelands for different reasons. Some of these practices could still be carried on irrespective of geographical location, but on the whole, a collective, however small in number, is required for the performance and transmission of such practices. The characters, established figures in their past professions, a filmmaker from South Korea, an astrophysicist from Senegal, and a chemist from Albania, reminisce over professional achievements but suffer existential anxieties at the dusk of their lives in so-called foreign lands, even worse for them in an institution. According to the United Nations Department of Economic and Social Affairs, as of September 2019, the number of international migrants was 272 million, outpacing the growth rate of the world's population. Consequently, there are 220 million first-generation migrants around the world. That's a whooping 40% of the world's population. In another survey carried out in 2018 by the research group Aging in Time of Mobility at the Max Planck Institute for Study of Religious and Ethnic Diversity in Göttingen, Germany, it shows that the world is shifting drastically towards older populations with the number of older persons aged 60 years or over expected to more than double from 901 million in 2015 to over 2 billion in 2050 globally. So what are the implications of such rising numbers of the percentage of older diasporic uh, populations? 
in what ways do the aging processes differ from other populations within the range, within that age range in their own homelands? We take care of our own, sought to bring aspects of diasporic gerontology to the theater stage. Slide, please. First off, it feeds off my recurrent question. How long does it take a diaspora to cease becoming one? Perhaps it's important to first begin with the changing connotations of that uh, diaspora. A dispersal from an ancestral homeland, a collective memory about the homeland, a feeling of not fully integrating within a host community, a yearning for a return to the homeland, maintaining an image of the homeland, maintaining individual or collective relations with the homeland. These beg the questions, what other than geographical displacement, voluntary or enforced, constitutes um, diasporic or individual groups, wherein the diasporic individual or group is always conscious of a dislocation and struggles with the sense of belonging and never fully blending in with the host community. From his, its etymology, diaspero, a scattering, to attempted descriptions by Judge Shepperson, William Safran, and Judge Cohen, among others, convey a consciousness of displacement laced with a longing for a return to the homeland. Slide three. Stuart Hall, on the other hand, discards conventional meanings of a scattered community with a yearning for a homeland. He writes, and I quote, I use this term metaphorically, not literally. Diaspora does not refer us to scattered tribes whose identity can only be secured in relation to some sacred homeland to which they must return at all costs, even if it means pushing other people into the sea. This is the old, the imperializing, the hegemonizing form of ethnicity, end of quote. Hall is of the opinion that diaspora can, be, can also be defined in terms of a politics of position, which has no absolute guarantee in an unproblematic, transcendental law of origin. For Black diasporic groups specifically, Hall identifies a continuous reinvention, transformation, and becoming that are constantly weaving new narratives of selfhood through creolizing impacts from Europe, Africa, and the rest of the world in their quotidian lives and practices. Another position is held by James Clifford, who looks through the lens of transnational networks when he contends that diasporic cultural forms couldn't possibly be exclusively nationalist in practice. In tune with Hall's notion of hybridization, diasporas are enmeshed in tra trans transnational linkages through multiple attachments of which, and I quote, they encode practices of accommodation with, as well as resistance to host countries and their norms. Diaspora is different from travel, even though it works through travel practices, in that it is not temporary. It involves dwelling, maintaining communities, having collective homes away from home. And in this, it is different from exile with its frequent individualistic focus, end of quote. Relocation and mobility continue to be significant aspects of human experience around the globe, with the continuous border crisscrossing for innumerable reasons, 
Attempts at defining the diaspora have over the years expanded to accommodate many strands of mobility and the rationales behind them. Once upon a time, the term diaspora was a historically and politically encumbered concept. For political theorist William Safran, it appears that diaspora, formerly an object of suspicion, has become one of fascination. Defining diaspora under one rubric will certainly not do justice to the different historical conditions uh, of some groups. New social configurations emerge with global migration and the aging population who engage with newer kinds of social diversity. Slide, please. I return to my research for We Take Care of Our Own, which examines patterns of aging away from the homeland, whose characters understand aging in culturally specific models in terms of care in old age. They understand it as a responsibility, not transferred to formal care facilities, but carried out by immediate or extended family members. The particularities of aging in diaspora, according to Melrose Stewart, a health and aging well enthusiast, are such that, and I quote, aging diasporans are already set on a downward trajectory of unhealthy aging. Social injustice, racism, and ageism are added to their constant battles. Here she refers to specifically, um, she refers specifically to the diasporans of the Windrush era of uh, between 1945 and 1972, where a good number of the diaspora are left with fading or no ties at all to the countries of their birth and have their lives firmly rooted in the UK. With the play, I adopted anthropological research methods mainly observation and interviews. There is also a very impressive body of literature on aging and a handful related to the diasporic condition. I culminated some of the shared uh, aspects of aging in diaspora that perturbed some of my respondents as follows. Slide please. Um, the loss of or having no sense of home in terms of structure inhabited by loved ones, losing control over their mental and physical well being, um, being secluded from practices such as uh, everyday ceremonies, baptism, marriages, birthdays, and the, and, and the likes, um, and then a growing need for religion from which they were somewhat disoriented in their more active years a growing need to believe in some transcendental or imminent being. The character Bajran, who is atheist, suddenly wants to become baptized one more time just because um, one never knows. There's the fear of dying in a foreign land and increasing vulnerability and the feelings of marginalization and loneliness. Slide, please. When Monsu can finally articulate his feelings, he asks, and I quote, does the end not matter more than the beginning? Of what use is a good beginning? If the end is solitary, what is a good beginning? What would have been a bad beginning? To stay back, where like elephants, we, would, we exit with communal support, where loneliness does not choke out what is left of my mortality. 
There is not enough time to talk about my conversations with the families from Albania and Turkey living in Switzerland that I had uh, interviewed while on my research. So I just skipped that part. But these families uh, believe that a nursing home is not an option for their elderly. As, as one of the women told me, you know, aging is no joke. People die from loneliness. Um, the character Bajran ponders, and I quote, in the land of my father, I'll be encircled by my offspring. I'd have a special soft carpet beneath my feet. My grandson would massage my feet with eucalyptus oil. They'd pay attention just like I did with my own babagish. I'd clean out his pipes and refill the tobacco. On the terrace where we ate, I would watch how fresh figs got in between his dentures. His eyes always held something called contentment. My eyes missed that, end of quote. In another line, he laments over the redundancy of his memories that need to be transmitted to someone, someone who really understands. Alida Asman refers to this kind of memory as active memory, that is what a group in this case, a family consciously selects and maintains as salient and vital items for common orientation and shared remembering. In Bajran's words, and I quote, my memories would remain mine, mine to remember. I think that's one slide more, maybe, yeah. My memories would remain mine, mine to remember, to laugh or cry about. This here is all superficial. You really think I'm interested in your stupid dragonflies or use of stars? Hell no, hell no. This is the phase for contemplation, for pondering and processing, for remembering the bag of memories I have accumulated, for sieving through those I want to keep, telling them to someone who bloody understands, who will retell the others, and those others would genuinely understand, not this, not this. Slide, please. In Senegal, Majet, as older adults are referred to in Wolof, are often revered and celebrated as in many traditional African communities. There is often an array of vernacular terms that accentuate their value. Within their families and their social groups, the aging population are regarded as guardians of collective memory. In such context, there is an implicit understanding in terms of care, that the younger generation take on the role of caretakers. The character Yusuf construes old age as a time for dutiful preparation for imminent death during which there's a quest for a renewal of relationship with God. He considers this a time for asceticism, even as a series of events in his past haunt him. Yusuf gets deeply connected with Tuba, a holy land in Senegal he considers home. For a majority of the aging Muslim populations uh, in diaspora I conversed with, it is not so much a fear of dying outside of the homeland, but, the, but that the possibility of a funeral, according to Islamic rites, would be very slim. Other religious activities such as collective prayers and fasting with the Eids, Eid al-Kabir, Eid al-Fitir. These are actually very successfully observed in diaspora. But here in a nursing home, Yusuf is disconnected from both the homeland and 
his own religious community. Slide, please. The character Monsu, who, who probably fled his homeland in, of South Korea, is tormented by the perpetrator's memory, whose failed attempt at repressing or forgetting has caused him to be on the verge of losing his mind. He remembers natural elements linked to his homeland, the river, the seagull, insects, sounds and smells. How is it that his bouts of sensory memory are so strong? His friends in the nursing home assume that he's already going mad. Amongst the Korean diaspora, um, sorry, the article who wants to enter long-term care facility in a rapidly aging non-Western society, attitudes of older Koreans towards long-term care facilities suggest that traditional norms in many Asian countries, such as familism and filial piety have contributed to a general reluctance to long-term care and served as a major barrier to service utilization. Moving into nursing homes is linked to a decline in numbers of family members who are available to offer such services and adapting to a new environment prompts a disconcerting emotional change that disrupts the flow of daily activities and social networks. Remembering, according to Emily Kitely, is not just an enunciation of individual psychologies, but a performance rooted in lived context. Choosing to converge characters from far-flung cultures and belief systems and values was not in a bid to highlight their differences, but rather the commonalities they share as three elderly people haunted by their non-transmittable memories in a nursing home. They share an overwhelming horror of the reality of a nursing home being their final homes. In the words of um, Alida Asman again, we have to rely on memory because it is, what, it is part of what makes us human. With nagging unpleasant memories, the art of the act of remembering becomes a torturous expedition for each one of the characters. Nonetheless, they make concerted efforts towards forging new social relations and by reframing what it means to age outside of their homelands while sieving through particular memories they'd like to keep. So finally, to the play's execution, having worked with age-appropriate actors in the first formal outing in, in the summer last year as directed by Carlisle Brown, it was really quite rewarding. It certainly wasn't the easiest task to sit through hours of rehearsals. These rehearsals were also processes where actors took breaks to share some of their own memories and experiences. So far, the reception of We Take Care of Our Own makes it more evident that issues of gerontology as it concerns the diaspora are becoming more and more urgent. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Framing Aging. For more information on the project and to access podcasts and videos from our events, check out the project website at framingaging.ucd.ie.